Good evening, and welcome to NCLCA Today, a podcast dedicated to educating individuals assisting college and university students along the road to academic success. I'm your host, Patricia Hartley. And I am your host, Kelsey Pichelle. Today, we sit down with guest Dr. Courtney Berry from Florida State University to discuss her work in the Learning Center field, including her own center's experience transitioning through COVID-19 and her work in student affairs. Before we sit with our guests, let's check in with updates from NCLCA. As a reminder, this episode of NCLCA Today is being sponsored by NCLCA, an organization of professionals dedicated to promoting excellence among Learning Center personnel. Visit www.nclca.org for more information about how you can get involved and to participate in our webcast. Are you in your center bringing something new and exciting to the Learning Center profession? Have you researched or presented on a topic that benefits the Learning Center community? Are you working on bringing an affiliate to life, implementing new training strategies, trying out new data tracking processes? Are you passionate about Learning Centers and want the chance to connect with fellow professionals? If you said yes to any of these questions, then we want you to join us on the next episode of NCLCA Today. If you would like more information about the podcast recording process or would like to be featured in a future episode, make sure to join us during the NCLCA Winter Conferences Happy Hour, where you will get to meet with Patricia and I and learn more about what we do. If you would like more information, please send me an email at K-F-I-S-C-H-E-L-L at fgcu.edu. Visit nclca.org to see our previous episodes and guests. Thank you, Kelsey. And now let's sit down with today's guest, Dr. Courtney Berry. Hello, everyone. Thank you for allowing this opportunity. Welcome. (laughs) So today we are sitting down with Dr. Courtney Berry, the director of the Academic Center for Excellence at Florida State University. Dr. Barry earned her bachelor's in communication, her master's in higher education, and her doctor of philosophy in educational psychology from Florida State. She has served as chief of staff for the vice president for student affairs and has 13 years of experience working in residential life, student activities, and Greek life. Her research interests include motivation and failure, as well as first year retention and transition. Courtney has also served on FCLCA's board of officers and is a member of NCLCA. Whoop, whoop, and welcome to the show, Dr. Barry. How are you? I am wonderful. It's great to be here with both of you, and I'm an avid follower of the podcast, so thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, that's, of course, why we wanted you on. Um, we love it when our NCLCA members really do enjoy the content that we are putting out for the organization. So while we know you, Dr. Barry, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about who you are and then how you started your career in higher education? Excellent. So I'm a mother of two girls, eight and 12 years old. I'm a wife. I'm definitely a daughter and definitely really thankful for the opportunity I have to work here at Florida State. I did not think I would work here for 15 years. (laughs) I also did not think I would be a triple alumna either from the institution. Really? I would say my life motto is never say never. And when I talk to students, I use that motto and share a lot about myself and the reason behind that. Uh, I definitely never expected to get a terminal degree. So I'm delighted to be here with you all and just talk about learning assistance as a profession and the service that we provide to students. 
Well, thank you so much for telling us a little bit about who you are, how you began your career in higher education, and for opening up to share that you didn't intend to get your terminal degree, because I'm probably going to come back to that. But before we get there, um, going a little more along your kind of path to the position you're in now. So before serving as the director for the Academic Center for Excellence, you were the chief of staff for the vice president for student affairs office at FSU. Um, can you tell us a little bit um, about what that was and what did you enjoy most about your work in the VP office? And then what drew you specifically towards tutoring in the learning center space from there? When I began working at FSU in 2005, I was assistant dean and director of Greek life. And I had the opportunity to serve in that position for nearly three years. It was within student affairs. And a unique opportunity had happened where a staff member in the vice president's office was retiring. And so it was an incredible opportunity to recreate, redesign a position working in her office. The vice president had been serving the institution and is also an alumna of the institution and uh, just was a tremendous leader, both role model personally and professionally. So a unique opportunity opened and I took advantage of it. One thing, I'm so glad you asked that question. One thing that I am reflective on is in the transition to that position, I was just discovering that I was pregnant and I was very interested in taking coursework again. So after completing my master's, I was working professionally for about seven years and then truly had a unique experience with curriculum and developing a course that was credit-based. So that introduced me again to, there's an opportunity for a terminal degree and why don't I start taking graduate coursework again? So here I am starting a new position had the familiarity of the same institution, but also then recognizing I'm becoming a mother and I'm also interested in graduate coursework. So I would say never say never because I never anticipated getting a degree, but I certainly could see the reasoning for the next 30 years and how it would help my career. So that is something that I'm reflective on of many people I think decide wait, maybe I shouldn't do this, or they talk themselves out of so many opportunities, perhaps feeling like maybe they should wait. Well, wait for what? So at this mm -hmm. point, I'm very glad that I just took the steps to go leap into the unknown and the challenging to figure out where I am now. So I'm going to go off just a little bit because I just want to make sure that I got the timeline right. So you're telling me that you well, I know that you said all this stuff in terms of your experience, but you sound like you got your terminal degree while you were either pregnant or going through the process of raising your, your child. Is that yes. correct? Yes, yes. Uh, so very much a full-time professional and developing and expanding my family and also really focused on graduate coursework. It really became something that I explored and then had the opportunity once I was admitted into a program. I specifically chose learning cognition because I was genuinely interested in what motivates students, no matter students, what. Yeah. yeah. So no matter what challenge or failure, what continues their motivation to complete degrees, which led me to this incredible doctorate. 
So that's actually leads me into the next question, because one of the, the ways that I frame the question is you earned your doctorate degree in the field of educational psychology and your research includes what you just talked about, motivation and failure, as well as first year retention and transition. How has your research background in psychology led your work in the academic center at FSU? And do you currently have any research projects with your center that you can talk to us about? I was really working hard on a research project before the pandemic. Uh, there's, I serve in a faculty role here at the university. It's a specialized faculty position. It is non-tenure. So let me be clear, there is not an expectation to conduct research or be published, but it's certainly rewarded and recognized. So I just share a challenge that I faced where I was able to devote uh, some time. We wanted to survey students and ask them specifically what learning occurred when they utilized services in our learning center. And we had students who were in a undergraduate research opportunity here working with us, creating the survey with us. We had faculty focused on what specific questions would be good with the instrument to help get to the results that we were interested in. And then the pandemic occurred. So all of that was really placed on hold, unfortunately. Um, what I am delighted to say is I do see the light now, and we are actually shifting. We've created a new research opportunity. We've recently been partnering with our institutional research office, and we are looking specifically now, we've completely changed gears, and we're specifically looking at the last six years in at least eight courses and how students performed in those courses. So those students who utilized our learning center, how often they used the learning center, how they performed in their final grades compared to others who did not utilize our learning center. So any week now we should get the results, but that has been an incredible partnership with at least three staff from institutional research and I'm delighted to say we've got two undergraduate students working with me on this as well. Nice. And that data, that data is so important. You know, when you work in the field of, you know, higher education, data is, it's really like liquid gold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, uh, you know, I do look to other peer institutions and other colleagues in the nation. And I give a special shout out to Louisiana State University who now that I've been in the learning assistance field for over six years, I do look to them as a leader. I've, I've not only participated in some of their presentations and workshops at conferences, but I've looked at annual reports among many peer institutions. And uh, so we are striving, we as our learning center are striving to be better at telling our story and showing the data. Uh, I've not been successful at that. I've had many different bumps and challenges, but I'm really excited to see what we can finally do in reporting this data. But it, it took a partnership with institutional research to be able to do that. So I realize the the results may not be, um, totally advantageous. I realize the results may not be as positive as we think, but I'm prepared to see what the results are so we can figure out how we can improve our mm -hmm. We certainly, if we need to change what we've been training our student leaders and we'll, we'll do that. So yeah, 
I want to be optimistic, but I'm, I've, as I've said to the group, I'm very practical with whatever we start to learn from this data. Exactly, exactly. Thank you, Dr. Berry. Mm -hmm. And and I think um, just kind of going a little bit further with what you said, I think a lot of people do get stuck on that idea of like the raw data. If the raw data doesn't prove what I think it should prove, it's a failure. But what like what you said, that it's about the story that it tells. So if what the research tells is maybe it's not what we thought it was going to show, however, we're doing these partnerships and we're making these efforts and doing things like, I love that you're bringing in undergrads. Any chance that I can like bring students in for other opportunities, I'm like all about. So it's still, the story is still there. And I think that that's such a good thing for people to hear in this time of transition when they're probably looking at their numbers and going, ah, everything's gone wrong. What's happening? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's okay. There's still a story there to be explored. <laughs> Kelsey, that's a really, it's a really good point that you make because one of the most challenging aspects during the pandemic was there were two faculty in our learning center who had resigned in February, the month before we all were really changing you know, our practices. And one, it was an exciting move to institutional research. So that's a plus, right? And the other faculty member was moving on to work in the College of Medicine. And so although it was a unique challenge, one of the faculty who I mentioned was also overseeing our supplement instruction program. We called here at, the, at FSU peer assisted study sessions. And so here I am a month into the pandemic trying to manage a lot of different responsibilities. But I bring this up because we had known for over three years, we were not getting a lot of funding to help us with this supplemental instruction. And so making some decisions, trying to support supplemental instruction. And I just wanna to speak to realizing the data was strong, the funding was not and we had to make a decision to not continue supplemental instruction. I think definitely the pandemic did not help, um, yeah. but it was very challenging to support this supplemental instruction for over five years and to realize, I think it was a decision we made in a good way that we need to not continue funding it after spring 2020. So that was really during the pandemic as it started mm -hmm. and realizing we needed to change, uh, be okay with it and know that we will eventually have an opportunity to create perhaps something new and different. Yeah, I think, again, that's like so important to share because I think there is that pressure on learning centers that every year they have to add more grow more, do more. And to say Retention. like, it's so, right. But it's okay that if something isn't, for whatever reason, even if the data is there, but the budget isn't, then it's not working. And it's okay to say, let's focus on what we know we can do strong and come back when that thing can be as strong as everything else. I think that's such a great message for people to hear. So they don't feel so much pressure. Like I'm not allowed to let something go and make those kind of decisions. As much as it was unfortunate and a difficult professional decision, uh, that was really made during the summer. And what was really incredible, uh, as an example of, we created a partnership with our university libraries department and also our first retention office and decided to create readiness review sessions. So we implemented it very quickly, summer C, 
which was the last six weeks, which is where we have a lot of first time college freshmen starting with us. And then also um, had the opportunity to create the same opportunity in spring. So we just completed our second pilot, if you will, of the readiness review session. So that's three departments, our learning center, our first generation office, and also university libraries coming together with a new opportunity. It's not just group tutoring. We were really focused on these courses that we know are very challenging gateway courses for students. And so I just am thankful that we can be optimistic and try to create different partnerships knowing like you just said we're serving students it's just in a different capacity and see what can come from that yeah um and i'll pass it to patricia for the next question that i think kind of dovetails nicely with us yes um so many directors in learn the learning center field now are having to like reimagine their budgets do you have any advice for department leaders who are trying to budget for their particular units? For example, how do you deal with reductions? This is a very real question that I've been struggling for two years with. So uh, as institutions in Florida, many of my colleagues realized that we lost carry forward funding, which was a definite significant percentage of Ooh. our budget. Um, $30,000 $30, two years ago for us. And then we're also losing about 4% from our budget this current year. So that's another 30,000 plus. So yes, budget challenges have been real. I would like to just share, I try to see where the partnerships can be and where the support can be. So most recently in the last four years, We've been focusing as a learning center to submit proposals for the student technology fee committee on our campus. So all institutions have a technology fee, right? That students pay for as they're paying for tuition. And we have a unique opportunity where we can request to make upgrades and maintenance and improvements and purchase equipment with this funding. So I would say that's where we've shifted and thought more about, we're gonna remain online. We're gonna remain providing services to students online. But here's an, here's an opportunity on campus where we can submit a proposal and upgrade our equipment to help make sure our reputation is still strong. The quality we provide is still strong. We have support from a department on campus and we're gonna be able to continue after the pandemic, the same quality of online services that we're providing now. So it's shifting, it's trying to be optimistic and it's trying to find some funding on campus. There are unique new opportunities. Another example comes to mind. We had a new leader in our facilities area on campus. And with this new leadership, he created this one-time opportunity that has just come in the last two months where any person, faculty, student, or staff, any person can submit a proposal on ways to transform campus. So I am fortunate to work in a building that is 10 years old and there are at least three other departments, interior design, art history, communications, there's other academic departments where we all work. And so we created a proposal to transform a significant space in our building that will hopefully welcome more students to study so it's a benefit for multiple academic departments 
it's a proposal of over $40,000, but all of us saw the need and then took this unique opportunity to have somebody say, what would you do if you could improve campus? We know orientation leaders have, you know, visit tour groups here in our building. And so I'm very hopeful that we've found a unique opportunity to transform our space and welcome more students to our learning center. It may not be our learning center study room, right? Mm -hmm. But it's just as invigorating and motivating to see students studying around you and taking good use of their time. So I'm excited. It's called First Impressions. And so I'll certainly follow up with you to let you know if we end up getting that proposal approved. I think some of us, oh, I'm sorry, Kelsey. I was just saying that, you know, sometimes we don't think about those additional fundings mm -hmm. that are internal to our institution. When we think about grants, sometimes we think about, oh, government grants, or we think about, I don't know what we think, but we don't always think about internal opportunities. But I agree that tech fee, don't sleep on that. We did the same thing a few years ago, but prior to the pandemic, and we were able to get like $80,000 worth of like technical equipment that is benefiting us today. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was it was a depart it wasn't just our department that that uh applied for it it was also the office of student involvement but it was a collaborative project for the study union event our largest academic event um on the UCF campus and honestly it really we have microphones now that you know students can use dot cams things like that that we purchased through that grant that they're using today for the technology uh transition that we've had to go into so so yes those tech fees oh my gosh that's a great one that's a great one exactly and I did partnerships. For, <laughs> yes I, I, was, I was gonna I was gonna say I did hear uh, recently from a colleague who just joined our team she previously was working at Florida Atlantic University and their institution was able to get a grant with Steelcase a furniture provider and so, although recently we've had our budget request for next year, yes, I'm giving a pro tip to everyone. Uh, I learned through her that Steelcase will provide grants to institutions. And so if we do not get the funding support from our university because of understandably a lot of limitations, uh, we will use our proposal and see if Steelcase would not provide us a grant in order to help provide new furniture mm -hmm. and learning collaborative equipment for our students. So I'm excited about that, that opportunity, right? And although we could be frustrated or feeling very uh, limited, uh, it's moments like that when you're talking to colleagues and then you learn about a grant and then say, why not? Let me try for the next three years and see what funding I can get. So maybe we can't provide new furniture for 1,500 square feet right away, but it doesn't mean we can't perhaps get a grant for half of it or a quarter to transform it so and it's in compliance because we're honestly slowly transitioning like let's be honest like you know it's not like tomorrow just if we all take something that we're all going to go back to what's considered to be what used to be normal um so it's going to be a slow process with that anyway so even if you're doing things piece by piece bit by bit i believe that you'll be right on target especially if it's an in-person kind of related thing you're going to be right on target with where we're, we are trying to get out, you know, trying to pivot through this pandemic. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of transitioning, <laughs> so in Florida, uh, many universities are slowly working through that transition process, um, moving back to in-person or as much of a version of in-person as they can manage, you know, while working within CDC guidelines. So state colleges, however, are moving 
at kind of a different pace, it seems from, from the universities. So what is the plan for your institution as it relates to fall 2021 and your expectations for your staff, um, your professional staff and your student staff for in-person services on campus? Well, this month in particular on campus, we've started to see more students utilizing our services in person. So we certainly have increased our percentage of students taking face-to-face -face classes this semester, but among our colleagues in talking, we see students utilizing our learning center and our libraries more. More of them return to live on campus. So what I would say to you is we are planning to be more face-to-face -face in person this summer, particularly including the fall as well. So right now we have staff who are helping manage coverage um, and we're still very much spaced out following social distancing practices. But within our department, we have several faculty, at least four of us that are teaching face-to-face -face classes. So as much as we can, we're maintaining tutoring online, but as much as we can, we're welcoming students to come utilize our services. Okay, so when it comes to your tutoring staff, is some of them in person and then some of them are also virtual? And if they do- All oh, of our tutoring oh. is still online. Okay. I do I do see the summer changing where we're providing more services where perhaps some tutors are working and we can keep distances. But right now, all of our tutoring is still online. Okay. What program are y'all using? FSU's ACE. <laughs> really? Yes, we do not. We do not uh, contract with a third-party vendor. Is that what I? Is that? Yes, because you know I was trying to find out. I was like, okay, what they use? You know. <laughs> But I realize now that's good. So you have your own in in-house uh, way of doing things. That's yes, awesome. we have over we have over thirty tutors who are providing the online uh, tutoring services, and then we also do promote two other departments. Uh, our first gen office on campus, and also our university libraries provides tutoring as well. So they are helping students have different hours and different days covered, right, to get some more academic support. So I am proud of that, that we do not feel in competition with, that we try to promote. But I will say, you know, another challenge of the pandemic, we as a department, as a learning center, had to shift gears with our payroll structure. So here we go again with looking at our budget, and we actually changed our payroll practices. At first, it was a challenge to think about. We had to talk among our staff. We had to also talk with tutors about this. Um, the Good news is we were able to have everyone in our tutoring staff, their hourly rate increased to $10 an hour. So that, that is really good compared to, right, our minimum wage. But we were also letting students know who are working with us that their pay would be specific to how many appointments they've completed. So in the past, spring 2020, summer 2020, we were paying tutors for eight to 10 hours per week of services, right? But we're shifting payroll and making these challenge, these decisions based on budget limitations and challenges. So fall was very different for us. Not only did all of us see a hit in students utilizing online services, but you know our tutor staff remained. Uh, they continued to work with us. We obviously try to help promote more hours for them, but 
the good news is through that challenge and decision-making, decision we've maintained the same tutor staff. And um, yes, we've seen a reduction in online tutoring services, but that was another very noticeable culture change within our department. And um, it's, it's been good. Um, I will admit we are, some of our payroll processes have changed. I can't overly speak to them because I'm not directly doing the payroll per se. Um, but you know, the whole, just a timesheet, you sign it, you give it to your office manager who handles payroll. That's not the way it works anymore. You know, it's more of a, a different process that I did have to also adjust to as well. Um, and it's uh, keeping track of a spreadsheet and scanning in the um, the timesheets and then doing digital uh, signatures instead of having to do, you know, physical signatures. And so there definitely was some, it took me a couple of months, I will admit to you, to kind of get into the new payroll process. And the things that you're talking about for, you know, departments in terms of like, you know, switching up the payroll, switching up, you know, sort of sometimes the way it's, when you get faculty who's now no longer in the department anymore, who's going to now take over those, you know, roles and responsibilities, sort of shifting, you know, the way your, uh, your entire team operates and works, that, that can definitely be some challenges. And then in, on top of that, a pandemic. So mm -hmm. Courtney, you've told us some things. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're not only active in NCLCA, but you've also been active um, in FCLCA as well. And you presented at different conferences. How do you think these experiences working with these professional organizations have, benefits you as a professional? Well, that is another example of something you can do as a professional, even during your budget limitations or budget reductions is focus on what you can do for free or low costs. So mm. I did make it a point to have at least, at least three of us on staff, active members of NCLCA during the pandemic, because at least we'd be provided professional resources at a very low cost. I also look to our university and encourage staff to get certificates. We have different types of certificates you can earn after multiple sessions. These are free sessions that our human resources and other staff provide on campus. So diversity inclusion is a certificate as an example, a frontline employee certificate. So these are ways that in addition to state and national conferences, I really tried to be renewed and I know that it's benefited me as a professional, focusing on specific opportunities that are free to us as employees, as faculty. So that's helped a lot. You know, I think one of the most impactful experiences I had was in finishing my terminal degree. I did make a point to present the information at NCLCA. So I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to meet with similar like-minded learning assistance colleagues and talk about my dissertation findings, which was focused on students who were mandated to take a class that we have here at FSU and to talk about what did students identify as their learning. And just to know that that opportunity over six years ago and the amount of colleagues that I've met by continuing my professional development has absolutely helped keep me grounded here in the profession. It renews me throughout the year at different times. I met you, Patricia, from participating in a conference and yeah. life-changing experience in that activity that we did together in goal setting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, it definitely, never say never and put yourself out there. Put yourself in discomfort uh, because I'm an introvert. I'm definitely an introvert, but 
Uh, I think it's important when we push ourselves and I've that wonderful colleagues doing it as well as improving myself professionally. I agree. I love, I mean, I'm a talker. So when I get to go to these conferences and then I share out, you know, some of the challenges I'm having at my learning center or at one point in time, it was spacing, for example, just talking to other uh, colleagues from different institutions and hearing maybe not the same challenges, but that they have similar challenges, just like I do. It is helpful. It is helpful. Plus we start telling each other how we can improve it and helping to brainstorm ways to, you know, make it better. Or even saying, Hey, I got a colleague from this institution who's dealing with the same problem. Y'all may want to talk that out before you leave this conference. So those things are very beneficial. I think one of my goals for this year, and whether it's at this upcoming NCLCA conference during the session that I might be able to participate in, or in the near future, one of my goals is to learn from others how to get more private donors or more private donations. Mm -hmm. So with that research we talked about in the beginning that I'm conducting right now with institutional research, I hope to be able to say with your endowment, with your donations, with your trust, we can help you know, a certain amount of students succeed in these very challenging courses that are required for their me. So that's a goal that I hope to learn from colleagues about to be very focused. So potentially sometime we can get some new funding opportunity from private donors. Money is a hot topic. <laughs> Um, well, on that note, not that you haven't already given us so many, but do you have one final piece of advice for fellow Learning Center professionals who are looking to grow within their field or um, access new opportunities? I do not think a terminal degree is for everyone, but I do think continuing education is truly beneficial for our human spirit, for our mind, for how we engage with other people. So if you've learned anything from listening today, I would say seek out the free and incredible resources at your institution. And I challenge you, whether you start your own book club or you have human resources providing trainings for you, take the time, take a percentage of what you do, and it will benefit yourself and others. So thank you so much, Dr. Barry. Thank you both. It's been delightful. <laughs> I'm so proud of this podcast. I'm so proud of what you both. Do. So thank you for doing it. It's incredible service. Thank you for being with us. And on that note, we're going to send it over to Patricia for some final announcements. That's right. Thank you, Kelsey. Do not miss our next webinar. It's going to be Friday, March the 12th, 2021. Join Laura Sanders, the NCLCA certification chair for her webinar, Using Framework to Complete Your Center Assessment Process. Um, NCLCA is pleased to be a founding participant of the Council of Learning Assistance and Development Education Associations. Looking to certify your center? Well, visit our website at nclca.org events for more information. Thank you for tuning in to NCLCA today. And thank you again to Dr. Barry for joining us. I am one of your hosts, Patricia Hartley. And I am your other host, Kelsey Fischel. Do not forget to visit nclca.org for more information and to participate in our forums, webinars, and to listen to previous podcasts at nclca.org slash podcasts. NCLCA Today can also be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
And that concludes our NCLCA Today, episode number seven. Thank you again, Dr. Barry, for being with us and have a great day. Thank you both. You too.